<clears throat> Welcome to episode 886 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 886 of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. Got the big yawn? Got the big yawn, got the cold toes, fingers are starting to warm up. I did turn the heater on, but I imagine my wife turned it down. Yeah, I imagine so. You know, I imagine so, I had a 23, which is nice and toasty. I'm certainly not sweating over here. No, he's, he came in and he just said, heater on. <laughs> yeah. He's basically walked in. You it's a beautiful day, but you can see the snow in the mountains. You nearly got the text message when I left. I said, make sure that bloody heat is on. No, because we were driving, we drove past you as you were going up the hill. Uh, so, yeah, it wouldn't have helped. Anyway, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by... Our awesome patrons. You can go first, Jumbo. Leonard's The Gifted Artist Monterio. That's a great name. We've got Adam The Big Snores Bardsley. And Jeff Jackhammer Roberts. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a Hot Topic of the Week. Pro of the week, we've got an interview. We are talking to Simon Cochran, the winner of Ultraman Canada, um, I think it was the weekend before last, so it was in, in the last couple of weeks, but he also won Ultraman Australia early in the year and absolutely annihilated the fastest yeah. ever time for an Ultraman. <laughs> Big time. Uh, Wing of the week, questions and answers at the end. Let's go into this week's news because we had one of the biggest races of the year, one of the PTO championship races. It's funny really because you've got this one this week in like two weeks to Asia. And then you got 70.3 Worlds like the weekend or two after that. And we can officially say Collins Cup isn't on this year. No, we can't officially say no, that. No, no, I, th- I think I read it somewhere. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh. I think it's been... Now, what, where did I read it? I can't remember, but I remember that I, I'm pretty... I can't see it happening, but... No, 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 yeah. I, I'm pretty sure... Where did I read it? There was something around... I was reading something about the PTO and I was saying... Um, I'll, I'll read, I'll look into it. If, we are, if that is the case, are we disappointed? Not really. I'd rather see another race than the PT than the Collins no, Cup. No, but they need a, 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 the single event. Mm. The Collins Cup hasn't worked mm. as, a, as a spectator event. Um, there definitely needs to be something different happening. But these races are, are pretty cool. So oh, they're fantastic. So the PDO race happened. Um, I, I'd written off Kodo. He's too oh, old, John. Oh, and I th- I th- he had, and I was, I was it's too grinning, old. grinning to myself. I thought we'd start, bef- instead of just talking about the race, doing a bit of a high five and a low five in of, terms of, of things they did well. As in like, as in for the spectator? For, for, for everybody okay. for in terms okay. of the whole event um, so USPT Open it was for those that didn't watch it it's a 2k swim 100 no 80 kilometer bike and 18k run to make up 100 kilometers in distance um, and first thing that I'm going to say is great racing fairly unpredictable to a degree and that's what you need is some great yeah. racing we saw what you, what you are going to get with fields like that aren't you well, yes and no. Like we had a great race in Europe. The European Open yeah, for, awesome. the, for the boys was amazing. The girls, it was amazing performances. It wasn't that great racing. Yeah. But at this one, we had intrigue all the way through on both the men's and the women's race. Okay, so great racing. Second up. Second up, I thought it was really good in terms of the coverage, what they did. They had plenty of focus on the minor placings. And that's, I think, absolutely critical, especially when you've got a one-horse race like in... In the European Open, we had Anne Haug, who was just like, you know, another postcode in front of everybody. But in this race, yes, they did have a big focus on Frodo, and they had a big focus on um, Nib, but you felt, I really felt like you're engaged in the battle for second, third, fourth, and fifth. So you saw all the races within the yeah, race. Yeah, because my wife and Tom, they and I watch it to an extent, Formula One, 
it is ridiculous. Like you're basically going into every race, Max Verstappen's going to win unless something happens. He is going to win and by a huge margin. But they'll still watch it because they're interested in who's going to get second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Now, and, with, and now so on. without the drive to survive, would you be no? Not and at all. do they show the coverage of the other people in Formula One? Or is it very yes, much, they do. It oh, very okay. much focuses on that. Okay. Like in the last race, I think I watched. Like there wasn't hardly that much coverage of Max Verstappen at all because he was just so far in front. Yeah. Um. So I thought that they did a really good job of covering the other athletes because what we've seen in past races, whether it be Ironman or just other events in general, they'll just keep a camera on Frodo the whole way through. And like he's winning, you're going, well, they're, they're covering the the leader, but that wasn't. That was an interesting part of the race, but what was happening behind was was more interesting. And likewise, with when the females race with um, Ashley Gentle sort of moving away the, yeah. through the field, they they sort of caught the times when she was catching people. Yeah, they made, like only I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the whole race, but I have watched like the highlights package, um, and it did seem that they were kind of you know creating the story of you know this is going to be a really mm. interesting finish. And with Jason West running through on oh, the run, he was flying. Unbelievably fast, but what you often see in those instances, like if, if this was a Kona, and so it was Patrick Langer running from tenth through to third or wherever he got the first time, and then he had a good performance. Basically, you didn't see him. No. Like, you wouldn't see him the coverage. No. Oh shit! It's not really until afterwards you find out he's got you know yeah. or at the very end. And the multi-lap format certainly helps that. So I thought that was really good. Uh, number three, great crowds, um, and that was just good good timing because they put it on a weekend where they had like five or 6,000 age groupers there. Uh, oh, cool. The pros were saying the crowds were nuts. Really? Uh, it didn't, when you no, watched it. No, it didn't, like, I, 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 I didn't see the whole thing, but I actually looked, thought it looked quiet, so. Yeah, but but certainly around the, 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 the end of each lap, um, there was, was good crowds. It so did sound like the, when they were in the crowds, the crowds were pumping. Mm. Yeah. So great job in terms of timing the event and, and having it around another event where you've got plenty of age group uh athletes number four i had um the evening race for us in new zealand at the timing was really good it was 9 15 in the morning but i think having an, an evening race as well you're more likely to get more spectators and you might get a little bit more local engagement as well you know if you're just a punter um you know are you going to get up at eight o'clock and go and watch a triathlon no. probably not if it's a saturday afternoon or a friday after work you might meander down and have a little bit of a look if like for example if there was a cycling race in christchurch a big one um i'd and be inclined to go down and check it was out. down in the strip or something like that yeah, yeah. Where, where um where was it held it was held in milwaukee milwaukee mm. uh and just my fifth spot in terms of the the highs i thought the coverage was um was really good in general what i found really interesting as soon as i tuned in was to hear greg welch who was on the microphone uh and not in terms of as commentary an MC. as an MC, but you know he's an Ironman loyalist, and so well, it works for him. Yeah, and so for for him and also Miranda Carfrey who does Ironman commentary. Um, oh, there should be a contract. It'd be a bit different, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you're still you're kind of going with the competition almost. I thought she was really good. Yeah, so her, her commentary. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought like again, I only saw the highlights pickers, but um, last time we talked about who was the female in that last one, uh, we felt it was Helen Jenkins. She was okay. She's really stepped up, actually. I'll talk about that in a moment. Okay, because Rennie, I felt, was, you know, yeah. the guy so, was a bit flat. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit in the okay. low points. So, yeah, Rennie was very, very good. Okay, um, low points. Now, I put a comment on Facebook. And Here we go. Fredino, this is nothing against Jan Fredino, he should have got a penalty. It's ridiculous. So if you didn't watch the coverage, Fredino did the, the, the John Newsom where he came out of the swim, forgot to take a swim skin off. Oh. And got to the mount line, still had a swim skin on. He's like, oh shit, what do I do here? And he took it off. And there was Peter a had gone event. over the mount line? Well, he was at the mount. He was at, in transition. What's the rule? 
Well, the rule is you can't have anything outside of your box in terms of your little transition box. Okay. So he ended up giving it to an official and got no penalty. And it, again, this is nothing against Jan Frodeno. I, want, to I wanted to, yeah, I wanted him to win. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And but he should have got a penalty. There's absolutely no question about it. And why not? Why I, didn't he? I absolutely no idea. And what would have been the penalty? Uh, I think it would have been thirty seconds. So which, and, which, and, which and, could have played. Well, he yeah. won. He won by twenty-eight seconds. Yeah, yeah. So, and he—I'm sure he would have. If he'd got a penalty, he would have taken it. It may have changed how he'd done the run. How he run. You know, he still looked like he had a bit in the tank at the finish, but it just seemed bizarre. And especially, I think on the second day, a female got a penalty. But when you go to a world triathlon race, it is like you have one thing that your swimming cap or your goggles or anything just drops yeah. out of the side of there. Boom! Ten-second penalty. You got well, to serve, serve um, it on the run. Hayden at the bloody Commonwealth Games. With the helmet. Yeah. And the week before, there was an athlete, Matt Sharp, who got disqualified from a race for his zipper being all the way down. And so there's a zipper rule. <laughs> That's anal. Well, no, the zipper. It's rules. It's rules. rules. It's got to be connected at the bottom. You can have it unzipped, yep. but it has to be connected. So he got disqualified. So it's not Jan's fault. I'm not blaming him. So you put the post up on Facebook. What was the feedback? There wasn't a lot there. And I was really surprised that things weren't blown up about this because it's, again, he should have just come into transition. There should have been a penalty box, and he's got to serve that penalty on the run. So that I was really quite pissed off about that, because especially when other people were getting penalised. Um, yeah, like if no one got penalised, at least we can say it's consistent. Mm. Whereas if one person does and one person doesn't, it does cause... And I don't... Yes, it's just nitpicking, but you've got to enforce rules, and you've got to do it consistently and fairly, no matter who it was. So, so that was pretty bad. Um Second point that I had, and um, because I was watching the men's race live, uh, and the coverage was great, but you also want to find out what's going on further in the field. We had Braden Curry racing, our Kiwi, and he was having a miserable day of it. But I wanted to be able to track him. They had a they had a tracker, which was actually once it started working was really good. But my negative here was for the first at least hour, maybe two hours of the men's race, the tracker was working but it had no names up there. So oh, you could see all these okay. splits, but all the name fields were blank. Uh, once it was going, uh, it was great. Uh, and you could really just click over and you could see exactly what was happening. Much better, I thought, than the, the, the Ironman tracker. It had all the had all the people sort of in groups. So if there was a pack of four, it said you know, group, chase group three or whatever, where you could kind of tell that they were all together. So the tracker was bad. But once it was going, it was it was good. I thought so. It was good, but it was just not consistent. Mm. Okay, uh, and I, but I didn't look at it on the second day for the females because I didn't watch that race um, live. Um, and then, kind of a high and a low point in terms of I saw some people commenting on the commentary team. So the commentary team they had th- three in there. They had kind of had your your guy who was your sort of your host and yep. sort of I think he was I think he said he's done some triathlons but he was kind of your you know leading trying to lead the discussion then you had Rennie in there as the the former pro multiple world champion yep, sort of been there done yep. that can sort of look at it from an athlete's perspective and then they had another guy um, Jack Kelly, it's Kelly. Uh, he was the third one and the, the angle there was he, I guess he's sort of more of the techie type guy the okay. outsider um, giving opinion based stuff um, but I think a, a lot of the comments were that he just spoke way too much okay. uh, and some people just did not like that at all okay. it's like let Rennie, let Rennie speak but I, he definitely did speak too much um, and but was there a flow of conversation like because really what you're looking for is a flow of conversation aren't you yeah he, he 
didn't perhaps give the Get others as a, a big enough chance to talk. I've got a lady in my life like that. There's a lady in my life, and I, 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 she's a lovely soul. But you can never get a word in, mm. and even if you know, like, because conversations are a game of tennis. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of you're passing it back and forth, and um, she never lets a word in. And even if there's a moment of gap, and you start talking, she'll just start talking over you. Yeah. <laughs> like it blows my like, and like a and again, lovely person, got a heart yeah. of gold, like nothing wrong with her, but just you can't have a conversation with her. She just talks at you, blows and my mind away. The, the thing, this guy Jack, he does a podcast as well, and I don't listen to it, but. I know from experience from last week, doing a podcast by yourself is fucking yeah, horrible. It's, a d- a different game, it's eh? horrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's a skill that he will have developed. It's, you're just talking continuously, yeah. and you, you've got it as well. But yep. for um, more introverted people, it's really, really difficult. So it sounded like on the females race. Now, I only watched the females for an hour. I was, sort of, I was race directing on Sunday. Um, but apparently, he was, he was a lot better, so he's coachable. Okay. But I think the mix was really good. Because you had that mix. You had the guy who's not the triathlete, you yep. had the expert, and then you had the guy who's sort of and techie. And a good and job of hyping, because on the video, again, I only watched the highlight package, so I can't judge. But it, it did seem, if anything, it was a little bit flat. Mm. Is that fair to say? It is, but it's a three and a half hour event. It's hard to yeah. get really excited. You yeah, don't, but you, you don't talk about those, the tour. Tour de France, not flat. It, it, it is, but then you have these net dynamic moments, whereas in triathlon, you don't, you have, don't that. have that yeah. attack. Yeah, uh, that kind of a high moment of like a, yeah, like a sports game. And again, in this guy's Jack's defense, he was out on the swim course and it was just the other two in commentary. And there's a few dead moments where they wouldn't say anything. And it's like you're going, somebody say something. Yeah, just, okay. yeah. <laughs> I'm really awkward, feeling awkward watching this. Uh, and when he came in, there wasn't really many breaks. So I think... I think the combo was really good. Okay. Needs a bit of tweaking. Now you said before the girl who people were a bit harsh on for the last race. Has oh, Helen a lot. Jenkins. She does all the ITU or not ITU, sorry, world triathlon stuff. Yep. Um, and I've been watching more world triathlon stuff this year, and shit, she knows what's going on. Oh, like really? she, She's an ex-athlete. She's an ex-world champion, but she knows every single thing about every person, okay. what training they're doing, she what injury the they've, they've yeah, got, okay. uh, and so uh, she's she's really growing on me actually. Oh great, that's good to hear. Um, and that's the thing, isn't it? I remember um, there's a woman cricket commentator who's arguably one of the best commentators out there, and um, Martin Devlin. Who, for those people who don't know who Martin Devlin is, is a sports commentator, kind of talkback host in New Zealand, who you could argue is maybe a little bit sexist. <laughs> you don't need to argue that. <laughs> And uh, but he really respected her, and, and then he, but he'd always be really critical of female commentators. And it's like, mate, they're gonna, they're gonna, you got to do your reps, yeah. You know, like a lot of these people are just getting their first opportunity. Like you can't judge someone on day one. Mm. You know, people grow into these roles and they learn how to get better at them. And so, um, yeah, you know, and, and you got to give people chances. And the interesting thing for me uh, was. It was on. I didn't realize it was on TV over here on Sky our Sky Sports, and my sister-in-law and my father-in-law were both what said they watched a good chunk of it on Sunday. Oh, wow, good. Uh, and then I also spoke to somebody yesterday. It was on CNBC or something like that over okay. in the states. So it's getting so coverage. It's getting coverage. And um, also, people you know they probably thought John's into triathlon will watch it, but mm. they watched it. Mm. And yeah. these aren't triathletes. Yeah, no, they thought it was. Uh, well, they thought it was good. Okay, so let's look at the results. So the men's race. Let's look at the men's first because in the men's race. From what I saw in my twelve minute kind of you're thinking Bloomfield's getting off the bike and running away with it. Oh yeah, it was it was and and, and that, that was the other thing. People criticizing this guy Jack Kelly, who was doing comments saying Fredino's out of this. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but Fredino did look like he was completely so out. So what of happened it. on the bike? Oh, he was getting annihilated. Um but he was hanging in there like full respect to him, but you're thinking, you must be riding way too it's hard here. Matches. Um 
And so I was of the same opinion. I was just thinking... How many were in the pack? It was four of them. Yep. Uh, and so I was thinking, well, Blumenfeld's going to smoke this. And I thought Ditlev and Fredino, you know, they might have a bit of a duel there. The yep. other guy was um, was probably going to fade. Uh, so I think it was it was harsh when people say, oh, he was saying Frodo's God. Frodo, blah, blah. It's yeah. like... I think most people thought Frodo. Yeah, if you're was a bidding man at the moment, you're going, okay, well, let's go. Yeah. Blumenfeld. Uh, and just in terms of my pre race picks, and I did cock it up a little bit, I f- didn't factor in that Ditlev had done wrote, even though I was there and, and, <laughs> and, and saw that he set the fastest time. In my picks, I didn't. Uh, did he blow up, did he? He pulled out. I did pull out. Um, okay. So, yeah, in terms of the, the results on the boys' side, um, yeah, young yeah, for Dino, absolute. Beast uh, took it out. Um, it was so really close so, racing, though. You know, I've I've kind of written them off a bit this year, um, just thinking age, and we hadn't had we hadn't seen a performance like this. Hmm. So, what do you think now as we look to the World Championships, which is only what six weeks away? He's a, he's a joint favourite, and I kind of said that all, all the way along. He's not a clear favourite like he was previously. So yep. going into the race, I reckon there's probably about five of them that are kind of whoever has the best race is going to win it. It's not like Jan Fredino can't have a 95% day and win. He needs a 100% day uh, to, 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 to be in with the mix. So for those who don't know, basically what happened was the, the group got off the bike and not long into the run, Blumenfeld, um, Blumenfeld no, he, he just cramped, cramped coming again. off the bike and yeah. cramped again. So. And, and, and he was like literally having to stop and have a stretch. He must have lost mm. a good minute. Yeah, yeah. You know, at um, least. Um, and what was really impressive, then Jason West, the bloody smoking fast runner, he yeah. was... Like he ran what four minutes faster than anybody else? Fifty six twenty two. Yeah, four to five minutes quicker than anybody else. He needed to. Yeah, he was but down. that's un- but that's a stellar running field. Oh yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I think he averaged three oh seven per k. Uh, is moving, and when you're running past Christian Blumenfeld, and by the time he caught Christian Blumenfeld, he was back up to running, yeah. and then he dropped him at, at the end. That was uh, was very impressive. So, so Jason West, that's traditionally how he races. Yeah, yeah, totally beast beast runner. Yeah, not uh, I picked him as the fastest runner. I think everybody probably did in, yeah. in terms of their predictions. You know, it was it was a given that he was going to run fast. But that's that's. You know, like four minutes in an hour run, mm. that's impressive. Only finished 28 seconds behind, and he did have a bike mechanical where he had to pull over and uh, tighten uh. up his handlebars, so that would have cost him a bit of time. So, yeah, Jan Fredino first, Jason West second, Christian Blumenfeld admirably um, held on to third place. Lionel Sanders? Sorry? Well, that's the thing, and this is a good point. Lionel Sanders, look at Fredino's times. He rode a 144.38. Yep. So Sanders was uh, exactly one minute slower, and then on the run... Sanders was less than one minute slower yeah. than uh, Fredino. So Sanders, less than two minutes across the bike and the run, all comes down to the swim. He was woeful in the swim, like he was way off the back. Um, so, and, and then you, know, you look at Fredino's times, and most people were, like Sam Long, he basically rode more or less the same, yeah, 40 ran. seconds slower, yep. and ran more or less the same, yeah. 30 seconds slower, but lost three minutes or two to three minutes in the... Um, in the swim. So really close racing. You know? Okay, so in the men's race, uh, anyone else who kind of didn't really perform? And, and like you've got David McNamee, who we haven't heard in a while. Mattis McGregor, who was fourth, the fourth was, is just having an amazing season. So that was a real breakthrough against you know, high quality competition. Um, most of the other results are pretty predictable. You know, I had, a, in terms of my picks, I had, where are my picks? Tim O'Donnell's still racing. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, he got 20th, didn't he, or something, yeah, something like that? Yeah. Um, Canute. Let me just get my fantasy. Aaron Royal didn't do that well. Uh, Braden Curry. Braden Curry had a shocker. Yeah. 
Uh, I my picks were I had Magnus Ditlev in first in hindsight dumb decision because he'd done wrote and he ended up DNFing so that's completely screwed my picks I had Christian Blumenfeld second Jan Fredino third Ben Canute who blew out and got 23rd I had him in fourth and I had Jason West in fifth um, so got two out of three I got three out of the top five right Ditlev let me down as did Canute I had Aaron Royal's fastest swimmer and he was the fastest swimmer I had Ditlev fastest on the bike he wasn't and I had Blumenfeld on the run who was not fastest either um, so yeah really good racing close racing um, you could see everyone's going for places because big money drop offs between each place yeah. so A you're competitive and you want to finish up as high as you can but it makes a big difference uh, if you can just make up a couple of places especially when you're inside the top 10 Okay so let's look at this. on Sunday or the next day they had the females race happen and and looks like that race there. Well, talk us through it, John. Um, so, kind of not an unexpected result. In fact, I picked the top three, and I think a lot of people would have picked that top three. Taylor Nib um, showed a clean set of heels on the, the bike and just uh, smashed everybody, but not to the extent. But, but the, the, like, okay, so they get off the bike, she's got about a minute 30 on Ashley? No, she had like two and a half, maybe, something and like that. It seems like Ashley got the minute, about 90, turned 90 seconds away from her, mm. not long into the run, mm. and then really didn't make any inroads from there. Yeah, but Taylor Nibs a really good runner. Last year, she exploded in the heat, and she hadn't had that much run training. So when they came off the bike, I thought, oh, it could be pretty close. I'm still picking Taylor Nib to win this, but um, Ashley Gentle, I didn't close quite as much as I thought. But Taylor Nib is, she's running really, really well on the she's world She's kind of an awkward series. runner, isn't she? Yeah, she's deceptively fast. Oh, yeah, obviously, but she yeah. just she's a bit... Kind of closed in and lanky. You know, she's got the, well, she had the third fastest run split, but she's still running a lot quicker than, than some of the female, some of the, you know, the really good people like Paula Finlace. So, Taylor Nib, um, yeah. We took, didn't see took many of the Ironman legends. Sorry? You know, like Anne Haug. Anne Haug's not there. Um, um, yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a good field. It's a 90.77 strength of field, but there is a, f a few missing there. But yeah, got, um, top three was... Lucy Charles Barclay. Relatively predictable. Had some really great racing. Like you look at these times, fourth through to seventh, uh, yeah. there was only about 35 seconds or so. Wow. So really, really close racing, which is great. And again, as I said, big money between different places. Uh, so Tamara it was probably the one that some people thought might do a bit better. She still had the second fastest run split, but her swim and bike let her down relative to what we saw from her earlier in the season at Oceanside when she um, crushed everybody. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, I wouldn't say there was any real surprises in terms of people that did really, really poorly. And the top three was more or less the top Seven was about what you'd expect. Lucy Byron was the one that um, probably you know, exceed, definitely exceeded the expectations, just another of the British athletes. So I'd say she was uh, race of the day, you know, if you take away the top three. So good on her. Okay. Um, so we've got the Asian Open happening in two weeks from now. And then the week after that, is it a week after or two weeks after that? 70.3? See the one or two weeks. And yeah. then it must be about another three weeks to the World Championships, is it? For the boys, yeah. Gee, so it's a big period, isn't it? Like, we have to see how many people try to do Asia and the World Champs. Well, Blumenfeld is doing, he raced here. He's got the Paris Test event, which was in on the... 20 on the 17th I think it is so like within yep. 10 days she's going to go do that and then he's doing Singapore and then he's doing 70.3 Worlds he's not doing Ironman Worlds no. apparently uh, so what you think we might get a surprise too no I don't but he's not hasn't made any indication that he's going to be doing it so uh, yeah he's got a busy time of it you said he wasn't happy 
he I've never I, when he finishes I don't think I've ever seen anybody be as pissed and, and not just here it's like at Kona at um, yep. the Canadian Open last year at, um, he gets beefed even at the European Champs yeah he is not happy at all and he yes he still goes over and says well done but he's like he just expects to win everything. <laughs> it's just but that's kind of what it takes, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but he's just next level. Yeah, because that's not true. Because Fredino, like, he seems like the nicest guy. Even, mm. I've met him a couple of times. Um, and he's just a real down-to-earth kind of nice guy. You know, mm. not, you know, hey, but hey, what drives people? Mm. Okay, we had some other races happen over the weekend. A few 70.3s happen. Yeah, we had really uh, the European Championships over 70.3 that was in Tallinn, Tallinn in uh, Estonia. Had a pretty strong females field and a bloody Good race between first and second. Laura Phillip took it out in front of Imogene Simons and Emma Pallant-Brown. But you had Lisa Norden there, Amelia Watkinson, Lucy Buckingham, Daniela Blamer. It's a bloody strong field. Uh, boys' side was not as strong, but the good thing was uh, Kiwi Mike Phillips did really, really well. Got second place. I don't know if he's re- really hasn't done that much racing in Europe, so good to see him head over there. I'm um, pretty sure he's building up for, for Nice, and he's probably got another couple of races over there as well. So good on him. He got taken down by Peter Hemrick came off the bike together but built up a big enough um, buffer that he wasn't able to get run down so uh, Peter Hemrick first Mike Phillips second Alessandro Fabian and third we also had some other little races where challenge at London where Finella language took out the females and Sam Ladlow took out the males uh, we had how's that Jania Oh, that was, I think I've done... Oh, no, that was at the weekend, yeah. Uh, Jania, which is in Poland. And it was uh, Didi Diedrichs and Wilhelm Hrich. Um, they took that out. Any other races last weekend? Uh, we just had Norseman and uh, Flora Coleridge took that out in the females. Um, John Savas Breviold from Norway took out the boys. He beat Sebastian Kenlay. The the downside for um, I'm not even going to mention times because because of weather conditions they weren't able to sort of go up the mountain on the run. Oh so bugger! A bit of a because part of what it's all about. So mm. do they have an alternative course? They do, and I'm, I don't know exactly where they finish. Uh, so they still run a marathon. I assume so. Okay. I didn't actually look into that. But that but sucks because that's kind of one of the beauties of that race. Mm. Getting to that bloody mountain at the top. But Keenlay's still on his world tour and he said, oh, I wish I'd done this race like this before in my career. Oh, he loved it, did But he? at the same time, it's like, you're a pro. You don't make any money from no. that. Uh, so, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Okay, uh, coming up this weekend, we've got a few different things happening over the next few weeks at least, but the Paris Test event. So, yeah. so traditionally, when we look at the Test events, A, how important are they? And B, uh, you know, like how do how do athletes treat I'll, these events? I'll talk about this maybe next week when we be, when we are right before it. But okay. the Paris Test event is coming up. However, the contra- controversy at the moment is uh, hopefully they'll get to do a swim because yesterday or the day before it must have been at the weekend the world long distance swimming champs got cancelled they were supposed to be in the scene as well um, so they're doing all these test events for the Olympics and they had quite a bit of rain and so the water got polluted and they had oh, to cancel geez. the swim and that's a real threat when you're doing any race in a built up area when it rains you're screwed and it's no different for me I organise a race in this little bay and if you get heavy rain flows off into the bay and and water quality just goes to custard oh, and uh, so I th- it sounds like the water quality is okay as long as it doesn't rain if it rains you're rooted so hopefully we get a, a, a swim bike run and then we're going to have the, P- the the Asian Open PTO race coming up 19th to 20th August and the Worlds are one week later over in fin- uh Finland, it is the Finland they're doing. I've got no idea about the course, so we'll check that out closer to the time. But yeah, not much, not much happening this coming weekend because there's been so much racing on last weekend. 
Okay, just got a quick Google search as the Collins Cup. Um, okay, we'll go on to the hot topic, which was quite a few weeks ago before Bevan went away. And the topic was, the what is the biggest threat to triathlon in the next 10 years? And I was having a look at this yesterday, and I'm going to give my thoughts um, so once we wrap things yeah. up. Okay, I'll go first. Brian Brian Ashby's got traffic management, and Richard Swaninoa has got the biggest. Richard Swaninoa has got it's the biggest threat to sport in New Zealand. It is the uh, biggest threat everywhere. Yes, it's, for those <laughs> no, it's not big. It's a very big. For those threat. who people don't live over, live over, like it's interesting. I've been in Bali for the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and Bali. Health and safety is just not that important. Yeah. You know, and in New Zealand, pretty much in the last 10 years, health and safety has become a really massive thing. And fair enough, you know, you're trying mm-hmm. to save lives and keep people's lives healthy. But the cost to the country, mm. you know, like, you know, like, for, for example, I remember you were trying to put a roof on your house. Mm. Traditionally, roofers come around and do it. Now you've yeah. got to put scaffolding up, which is going to cost you 8K for your scaffolding. Yeah. You know, like, there's this huge cost to our society. Now it makes a really health, healthy society of good buildings. Got nothing against it. But then sports... Like, you know, like, what does it cost you for traffic management? Oh, I don't pay as much as, as some people, but, you know, you're, look, you're not going to get any change out of 15 grand for, you know, depending on where your race is. Um, we're lucky we can do our races in relatively quiet areas, but if you're doing one in a built-up area, you know, you're looking at 50 to probably 100 grand in, in, in um, traffic management costs. If you're doing road closure, like, whoa, yeah, get ready for a, oh, for really? a ball busting. And, uh, and um, do, we th- do you think events are safer for it? Well, if you do road closure, yes. If you just in terms of like before we had like think fifteen years ago when I was racing, hmm. um, the rules were different. They've probably come on a little bit, but not as much as what they are now. Yes, it's safer. There's, there's no doubt about it. Yep. Doesn't need to be that safe. You know, when we're out racing, let's give way. To, let's give way to a giveaway sign. Yep. Uh, instead of having to have you know three staff on a, on a particular corner, um, courses are better marshaled. So you know where you're going consistently. Back in our day, uh, and you, you'll hear from Simon Cochran later on, you know, when he was doing this Ultraman, he's shitting himself that he's going to go the wrong way. Yeah. I had that a lot when, in the early days when I was racing because I was often a good swimmer, so I was often going to be at the front, and you're like, shit, I don't know where I'm going. I hope like health is good signage here. Um, the first one I'll do, and I, when I was scrolling through this yesterday, was... Nobody has mentioned climate change here. So luckily the last comment on the whole page was Jeff Morgan said climate change. You that's a that's a that's the whole world screwed with that one. Yeah. Uh Scott Horns has got you know, race, race entry fees and then Clyde Ross has got and it's, it's a sport has a huge attrition. People come in it and do it for a few years, then time and cost takes them away. I doubt younger generation who have so many leisure options will be in, as inclined to do long distance triathlon in a world of instant gratification. And then Nicholas Brown's got huge attrition, but also huge draw crowd. More rich people than uh, is in an easier world makes more people looking to manage adversity challenges. Ironman marathons ultras are a thing where people always do to test themselves and are much safer than mountain climbing. So, uh, Brian Jensen says water quality. Just mentioned that about the races coming up in Paris. Uh, Rob Dalymore has got the high cost of ergogenics ketones is forcing. Taking the piss. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what's he talking about here? A uh, lot of, most most of the comments say the cost is unreasonable. Dan, Dan, uh, Don Ferguson. Oh, David Manley's got not NIMBYs. So yeah. not like local communities not wanting to have races. Yep. 
totally yep. agree with that. Yep. Uh, Richard Stevens says money from the Middle East. That could be a saviour, not necessarily a threat. That's such a, that's such a dilemma for the world <laughs> it sport, is. isn't it? Uh, Hal Tao has got um, make the courses short and a guaranteed to fill up. Again, taking the piss. Yep. <laughs> uh, last one I'll do is there's another co- pretty much all of these are cost. Uh, and I'll do Ma- Mark Dixon, apathy. Uh, races are disappearing in the UK due to low participation numbers. Ten years ago, races sold out in minutes. Now the main issue is lack of interest. We've lost Ironman UK and the Lakesman full next year. Both great races, it's sad to see, but triathlon isn't the popular, fashionable thing for most people these days. It was really interesting. In New Zealand on the news a couple of nights ago, they had a, a piece about the spirit of New Zealand or Spirit of Adventure, which is basically a big yacht that where they get teenagers and it's one of those kind of outward bound experiences where you go out on this yacht for a couple of weeks, you kind of do these life skills and get challenged and put in adversity and it's a really powerful thing. And I remember when I was a kid, getting on it was impossible. Mm. You know, it was very, very hard to get on it. And they're saying that it's actually starting to struggle. A, kids aren't interested. Mm. B, a lot of the kids aren't ready for adversity. Mm-hmm. So they end up they're sending more kids home from it while they're on it than ever. Mm-hmm. So some problems of discipline, but also problems because you just can't handle adversity. And, mm. um, you know, when we think of a sport, which is all about adversity. Now, now obviously, there's always going to be people who are attracted to this. Mm. But if we're building a generation that isn't into adversity, a sport like ours is going to at least see a fallback. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, I've got to give Mick, credit, Mick Simpson some credit as well. He also did mention climate change. So, uh, same as the biggest danger facing the entire planet, the adverse effects of climate change. So what are your thoughts, John? Uh, my thoughts, and again, I always look at this from a race director's point of view as well as an athlete, a coach as well. So my points were, I wrote them down, uh, climate uh, and, and climate and water quality is massive. Um, and you've got to think, you know, a lot of the Europe races and American races, you know, they're traditionally in the middle of summer or we're going to see, I think, um, that middle of summer period probably becoming a li- little uh, less populated with events just because it's getting, it's just become too hot. So I think um, climate and water quality uh, is a big issue. Um, and we've seen that at lots of races and availability of water space is a, is a big issue. Um, venues, um, a few people mentioned that, where you can have events, um, which we've got this uh, a water space where you can access roads and you've got a community that are going to let you run events. Another one that nobody mentioned on there, and this is from my race director's hat, is volunteers. Um, it's really, really hard to get volunteers oh, really? these days. And to put on an Ironman or a half Ironman, you need oh. a lot of people yeah. volunteering. Or at, at worst case, you, you need volunteer groups in terms of doing fundraising. But even them, uh, or even they, are very, very hard to come by. So, for example, an event, you might pay a marshal group, you might pay them 50 or 60 bucks per marshal that they provide, and that's a cost of the event. Other, elsewhere in the world, I imagine you pay maybe a lot more than that. Um, but that's a major issue. If you're trying to run a half Ironman and you need... You know, for for example, my Oxman race, I probably need around about sixty um, or so volunteers in total. You know, um, if you get thirty, you're screwed. You you can't yeah. run the event. It's like unless you pay corporate rates, and then it's like yeah, just screwed. Uh, yeah. So volunteers is a real big issue. We talked about health and safety. Um, yes, it makes events safer, um, but cost. It's cost, and it's just a pain in the ass. It's just it's common sense gone crazy in a lot of places. Yeah. Like, 
there's a hole over there. How many, how many cones do we have to put around that hole yeah. and how do we have to bury things up? And it's just like, oh, I, I, again, boom, kind of sounding like a boomer, but back in the old days, it was, it was a bit more straightforward. Yeah. And, you know, you put a couple of swim boys out and you maybe have a couple of kayakers out there and I, I know then people might drown. And it's, that's, But it was just so much simpler back then. Um and then the cost to organise events, um, you know, that is passed on to, to you guys as, as athletes. But, you know, yeah, Ironman are, are pillaging things. And we all know that, that they've got to pay for, you know, the corporates have got to get dividends and things like that for their shareholders. But when you do look at the other race organisers, you know, challenge and stuff, it's still pretty expensive to enter those races. Um, and they're, they're doing it as a business. But it's not like it's a quarter the price of Ironman. Mm. So I, I don't know. I'm going <coughs> to guess it's maybe about a 30% premium or so you pay for Ironman. Yep. But it's really expensive to organise events. And, and I think you're going to see a lot less people willing to take the, rust, the risk to organise events with the liability. Well, I also think there's, you know, a lot of people talked about costs. And um, like if I would, because we, we've talked, you talked a lot about cost of race entry, but the cost of the sport, mm. you know, like, Realistically, if you're starting from scratch right now, you, you need at least 10K. Yeah. You know, and, you know, in today's world where, you know, lots of people are struggling and interest rates and all this kind of stuff that's happening, at least at this moment, uh, there's a lot of people who might have thought, oh, I wouldn't mind trying a triathlon. And they look at the cost and say, no way I'm doing that. Mm. You know, and, you know, you're set up. So, and, and I, well, I'm not really set up nowadays, but um, I don't know if I'd do a triathlon nowadays mm. if I looked at the cost. That's a shame because everyone does want really high spec stuff if you wanted to just go and do a triathlon and go just get a second hand yep. you know perfectly fine bike and a second hand wetsuit it's probably not actually that much yep. uh, but if you want to everyone's got all the tech gear and you feel like a bit of a donut if you turn up and, and you haven't got aero and I suppose and that's a problem for the sport isn't it because mm. as a community we need to make people feel that that's okay yes, you know yeah. but that comparison thing you know you go, you go to a race now like I remember last time I was at a race and you just looked at the bikes and you know and look there's 20k bikes now mm. Bikes, but yeah, but if I, I, and it is a real legitimate concern. But like, if if somebody in Christchurch wanted to start going to do a triathlon, it wouldn't it, you, the bike is the biggie? But you could get a really good secondhand bike for probably two grand. Yeah, really, really good bike. Um, and you just go and get find a secondhand wetsuit and then you need running shoes. It's not yep. as expensive, but most people are going to come in, spend five grand plus on a bike, get a thousand dollar wetsuit. Um, Get carbon shoes, uh, not really necessary. I, I guess I'm, I'm going through it with my son Tom yep. in terms of his gear, and so I kind of see it because now I've got to start paying for things. I can't go, can't yeah. wangle my way in terms of getting free things. <laughs> I'm sure you're trying. <laughs> so yeah, but look, we don't want to get too negative on it. We've still got a fantastic sport, but oh, there, no, is, but there is a lot of challenges. And if we can all, as a community, try to mitigate some of those challenges and say to people, you don't need that bloody ten thousand dollar bike. Put a set of aero bars on that bike, yep. and you'll maybe you'll be 30 seconds slower than somebody yeah. on this fancy bike in a sprint distance triathlon. And just train more, mm. you know. Okay, very good discussion. Okay, this week's discussion is what was great about the PTO US Open and what could be done better to make it better. Hmm. Um, John, your quiz question. Now, this is a very good quiz question. John's quiz, quiz question. question. How many times has Jan Fredino been off the podium in his long course career? Now, so these include DNFs? Um, no. Because okay. yeah, no races he's finished. How many times has he been off the podium in his long course career? I don't think we need to do pro of the week, so we'll save that for another week because we've, okay. we've got plenty of time. Okay, we've got an interview. We have talking to Simon Cochrane. Here, Here he is. comes right now. 
Righto, team. Uh, some of you guys might follow the world of Ultraman. Uh, quite a few of you might not because um, often the Ultraman races don't get a lot of coverage. And part of that is the organisers, like they, they don't necessarily, they're not pumping the information out there. You go to the websites and like sometimes the results from the last couple of years aren't even there. So it's pretty um, pretty old school. For the longest time, they had the oldest website on the internet too, didn't they? That, that was in Hawaii. Yeah, that was yeah. a shocker. But there's been two Ultramans um, that I've sort of looked at that so far this year. And one was Ultraman Australia, which I think was back in May. And the other one has recently been Ultraman Canada. Uh, and we've had a Kiwi who's been absolutely annihilating them uh, and setting new course records and new world best times for the Ultraman distance. His name's Simon Cochran. He's been a pro since 2012, uh, sort of racing Ironmans with um, podiums sort of in Asia and Oceania mostly, but a 70.3 in there as well. Uh, and recently won Ironman uh, Ultraman Australia and Ultraman Canada. So uh, welcome along, Simon. Thanks, guys. Good to chat. Um, before we get into sort of talking Ultraman, um, what was uh, you, you've been racing sort of pro for quite a few years now, but what was uh, the life trajectory looking like and, and your sort of background before triathlon? Yeah, so I mean, I played a range of uh, like team sports, rugby, soccer and that sort of thing in school, but... Then after school, um, yeah, it wasn't a lot of sports or, um, yeah, endurance side of things. I was doing a bit of kickboxing and motocross. Um, so other sports that, that hurt you, but not, uh, <laughs> not something like this. Um, um, you, you sort of, from looking at your records, you went pro around about 2012. Uh, and between 2012 and sort of COVID times, you looked like you were mainly focusing on 70.3s and Ironmans, getting some good results in there, you know, a few podiums here and there, a few sort of fifth through tenths. It's a pretty bloody tough way to make a living um, as, as a pro. So how were you, how were you making it work? Yeah, well, the good thing was I, I wasn't doing it to make a living. Um, I still had full-time job right the way through. Um, but yeah, decided to race in the pro field about 10 years ago um and yeah it was was still fairly competitive but like you say it's it's pretty tough to make a living solely doing that in New Zealand there's probably only two or three guys that have done it well um probably in the history of the sport so mm. I was happy to yeah fit it around my work and family life and still enjoy the sport and be competitive enough um with the time that I gave it Look, we obviously get a lot of age group listeners. Um, when you're racing at that level, having career and family, what was the key to making that balance work? Yeah, balance is right. It's like, yeah, I might have gone better if I fitted in an extra 10 hours of training or 10 hours of recovery, but then you're not as happy, your family's not as happy, and your work isn't as successful as well. So it is getting that balance right, but it's also just making the most of the time you've got as well. So I was up early. I was fitting stuff around work and family, so then it's not taking away from those other things, I guess. And what was what was work for you? Um, so I have a coaching business, Athletic Peak. So I've been looking after yeah a big bunch of endurance athletes, anything from yeah runners right through to multi-day crazy stage race events. Um, and then I've also had another company which is some corporate accommodation. So. Both of them flexible, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, still pretty busy. And, and you're based up in Cambridge, is that right? Yeah, just out of Cambridge, um, in between Cambridge and Hamilton. 
Nice. Um, so in the last sort of, it looks like the last 12 to 15 months, you kind of stepped up. We're talking to talk mainly about the Ultramans, but you've done some other really long distance running races and so on. What was the the desire to to do that? You know, again, it's not going to be a financial decision, I doubt very much. Um, so what was the, the sort of desire to, to do that? Um, so a couple of years ago, I had a bad bike crash, broke my shoulder, right around that COVID sort of time. So it took me out of the pool for nearly nine months. So I got into a bit more, yeah, a bit more adventures in the forest and doing some longer runs and then got into, yeah, a couple of ultra runs, 24-hour run, Tarawera. And that seemed to work, uh, well, it seemed to suit that, um, enjoyed the training. And then when I jumped back into triathlon last season, it, it actually made me stronger and surprisingly faster even over the 70.3, like on the back of a 24-hour run and a 100K run, without doing any speed work, I had my quickest 70.3 run off the bike, which was, yeah, pretty much a 115 flat in Taupo there, which was quite surprising. Nice. So um, was uh, Ultraman Australia your first ultra ultra distance or Ultraman triathlon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done 36 Ironmans over the last 10 years or so, um, but yeah, the first in the the ultra side and first sort of multi-day event and, and you know obviously you're pretty experienced in the in the long game of triathlon and, and maybe even some ultra running did you change much up in your training and how you approached a race like this like what was different not really i mean i used the last year of racing sort of building towards the ultraman so i mean i i had a massive year with yeah like some 100k runs 100 mile runs a 200k run couple of Ironmans, a couple of halves. Um, So it was a huge year. So the endurance base there was, yeah, solid. And then I guess it just got quite specific with about, well, after Ironman New Zealand, we sort of had six weeks or so. So I had a couple of weeks easy after that. And then it was a month block of, yeah, dialing in the the longer efforts. So like, you know, some 300K rides, some 80K runs and that sort of thing. Yeah. So for those that don't know, um, sort of the Ultraman format, it does vary a little bit from race to race, but in general, it's uh, swim and bike on the first day. So you swim, you know, double Ironman distance and then bike, you know, about 140K. That varies a bit from race to race. Day two, you're biking around about 280Ks and then day three is is a, a double marathon. Um now you went over to Australia and you absolutely obliterated the record and and set a new fastest ever time for for the Ultraman distance. How did you sort of go about pacing yourself? Because I assume you would knew you were you were way quicker than anybody else had been before. Um, did you just ride to power? Was it a percentage type effort? How did how did you pace yourself through the through the um, through the event? Yeah, you know, I didn't know I was going to be a lot quicker than anyone else because the current world, well, the previous world record holder and double Ultraman world champ was racing there and he had put a big um emphasis on that race as well so it was quite cool to have yeah some serious competition um he didn't end up finishing pulled out halfway through day two which was a bit of a shame um but yeah in terms of pacing the biggest worry because it's open roads and it's such a long way the, the biggest worry for me was getting lost or making a wrong turn mm-hmm. so i literally had my gpx map file as the only screen on my bike computer the two days so i didn't <laughs> look at power cadence heart rate nothing all i was worried about was making the right turns um so i was riding completely to feel the whole time oh, jesus what did you normally do that um training no racing yes i find that yeah 
watching a power number um, more often than not can probably limit you because if you're going over the number, you're worried that you're pushing too hard. And if you're not going over the number or at the number, then you're just demoralized in your mindset. So I think on race day, it's best to dial in that feel. And quite often you'll you'll ride better than you uh, expected or um, have done in training because you've freshened up. It's a race day atmosphere. And um, yeah, if you get into the race and not worry about the numbers, I find that more times than not, you'll you'll go better than you uh, thought. And did the, maybe talk about the first two days, did it kind of, unfold how you'd hoped it unfold and, and how you're sort of feeling at the end of day two and then finally when you actually did look at your stats we were, were, were they about what you thought they might have been yeah i mean day two was quite a i mean yeah it was 275 k's and i ended up averaging over 37 k's an hour um with with quite a lot of elevation and i did surprise myself like the the power was uh 269 normalized for seven and a half mm -hmm. hours so if you'd asked me before the race then yeah i probably would have thought around that 240 to 250 so mm -hmm. once again yeah I'm, I'm glad i didn't look at it so i think i probably went i mean the, the first two days went as smoothly as i could have hoped um mm -hmm. obviously you're still feeling pretty smashed at the end of day two mm. how did that how did that number compare to, to iron man numbers um yeah i mean that's probably i mean some of my better ironmans you're you're close to you know 290 to 300 so yeah mm. maybe maybe five or ten percent off that yeah cool so give it give us a little bit of stats you know you're giving us a little bit of bike stats but run us through your sort of your your swim your bike second day bike and then and then maybe talk us through the marathon and how that unfolded yeah so um i mean i've done a lot of long swims well, rides and runs right at race pace because it is aerobic. I mean, it's such a long day that, yeah, you, you have to be in your aerobic zone. So the swim, I knew I was going to be around that, um, you know, 130, hopefully a little bit less per 100 metres. So it ended up being right on 125, 126, which gives you that sub two and a half hour swim for 10Ks. Um, and then day one bike, I wanted to ride it hard. Um, once again, wasn't looking at anything, but that, Day one was up around almost half Ironman power, so we're we're talking nice. yeah around that two ninety plus normalized, um, and that set me up. That gave me about a thirty five minute lead overall after day one. Mm, so um, yeah, and then day two, same thing. It was just riding, riding to feel. Um, a couple of the guys pushed really hard for the first hour, which I didn't really want to, but I was in the race, so we were averaging. I think it was the first hour was 312 normalized, which Jesus. wasn't in the plan and probably <laughs> isn't the smartest way to ride a 275k time trial, but it, it still paid off and I wanted to make sure I was, yeah, in the race. And what, what's your weight? Uh, 75. Oh, nice. How do you approach the run? No, we, like, because did you know that you were in record contention at that stage or like? Yeah, end of so day well, two, where, where were you at? End of day two, the, the race uh, director, organizer guy came up, handed me a bit of paper and said, and all it had on it was six hours, 17 minutes. And he said, right, this is to go under 20 hours. Um, and I was like, shit, you know, I'd planned for around about best case scenario, a, a 6.30 or a 6.29 to get the run course record. Oh, really? So to, <laughs> 
to throw that carrot out there was um yeah a little bit daunting i mean no one had gone under 21 hours so to to take an hour and you know 20 minutes off the the world's best time ever was was quite daunting but then it also made it quite exciting as well oh and the the, the run i i I just off the top of my head, because uh, again, the results are really quite hard to find. Was, was it six sixteen or six nineteen or something like that? You went six oh six and six oh six. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So I, I had managed to have um, a few good paces. So I had mate Matt Kerr run the first pretty much marathon with me, and then I had Luke and Beth McKenzie um, sub in for a, a half marathon each for the second half. So a bit of local nice. local knowledge there helped. Yeah, and you're allowed and, to do that, are you? Yeah, so you're allowed pacing um, on the run. Obviously, they're not allowed to run in front of you to block wind and that sort yeah. of thing. But they were carrying drink bottles and you know just providing a bit of a bit of chat along the way, which helped. Um, and the first marathon, yeah, just same thing, running by feel. And the GPS was off a bit because you're going in and out of bush trails um, by the beach. And when I turned at the marathon, it was two fifty eight for the first one, and I was thought mm-hmm. Shit, that's that's a bit hot, but it gave, gave me a good buffer for the the second half and you know you that when you're that far in front and you probably on the way back you probably got the sense you were going to be under 617 or the 616 whatever it was you needed to do did you did you take it to the limit um and if so how, how do you do that when you haven't really got any competition out there yeah i mean i find it easy to to push myself and like you, you have to have that if you're doing that in training day in day out so the motivation there wasn't wasn't an issue that's for sure um and I think doing those longer hundred mile runs, um, when you learn to hurt at the back end of those, then you can process, you know, when you've got 10, 15, 20 Ks to go a lot easier. So we did like I was running with Luke for the last 10 K. Um, and we were back down around that sort of four minute Ks, pushing quite hard. And then you finish with a K on the sand, which was pretty brutal. Oh, um, that is brutal. <laughs> but yeah, you, you can see the finish line and yeah, you know, you know you're there now. So nice. Uh well, that was awesome. Um I'm an, an ultraman Australian. Could I just ask what was the experience like? You know, because uh, you've obviously seen some ultra running, which I mentioned to be isolated. Um, but Ironman experiences, uh, you know, it's it's an event, there's lots of athletes, there's crowds. What was the kind of experience of doing an ultraman? It was pretty good. Like the the community there, because they limit the field to fifty athletes. I think Aussie had forty two, Canada had even less. You actually get to know everyone pretty well. Like the the day before is a big briefing, so you have a breakfast and and meet everyone. And everyone's got a crew, so you're seeing everyone out there on the roads, um, turnarounds. And yeah, I had my wife and parents and kids in the car for all three days. And they're they're mm-hmm. supplying your drink bottles, telling you where to turn and giving you updates and splits and that sort of thing. So. In a way, it's you know you're seeing people more often even than an Ironman, um, and because you're not right on the limit, you can actually you know chat and um, yeah, it feels like they're all a part of the race as well. So you you knock that one off, and then you've gone off and uh, decide to sign up for Ultraman Canada. What was the, the rationale behind that? Well, a bit of politics in the the Ultraman organisation with the world <laughs> champs and <laughs> Australia. Used to be a part of it and a qualifier. Um, now they're not. Um, oh. So, yeah, even after that performance, the organisers at Hawaii were like, no, sorry, we don't recognise that. Um, so the next <laughs> logical race was Canada in Penticton, which, I mean, it's a good excuse to go to Penticton and have a nice um, mm. 
a race anyway. And now that's qualified me for, uh, yeah, the world champs in Hawaii in November. So mm. I thought, well, I'm on a roll with them. I'd like to do that this year. Um, yeah. And have a, have a good crack. So as you said, it was a pretty small field over there. Um, you ended up winning by, by four hours. So maybe contrast, um, the event, you know, Ultraman Canada compared to Australia, you know, as an, an event and an experience. Yeah, I mean, the experience was great as well. Um, it is slightly different. It was a, a smaller field, probably almost half the size of Aussie. Um, but the landscape in Penticton was amazing. It's like a, the lake is so warm, so clear, and it was a 10K point-to-point swim. So that was quite an experience in itself. Um what made it even more interesting was my kayaker sunk at the three kilometer mark. See <laughs> <laughs> one job <laughs> with all my nutrition. So I literally swam the last six and a half Ks with no support and having to sight six Ks straight to the shore. Um uh. which actually went pretty good, but man, my neck was sore from that much sighting and um yeah, might have might have slowed me up a little bit. Um yeah. but the bike course there, I mean your day one ride is most of the Canada Ironman course and then day two is obviously a, a massive extended um ride and end up finishing 85 k's away from Penticton staying in a little town that night and then the run is a one-way yeah 85 k run back to Penticton along this nice quiet road um quite hilly run and had 36 k's of gravel road in the middle there how did um how did your performance compare to Australia? You know, obviously you smashed both races, set a lot in really, really fast times um, and course records. How, how did you perform and did you learn anything differently than what you did in Australia? Yeah, definitely. I think my performance in Canada was was probably a step up. Um, Time-wise, it's, you know, 12 minutes slower or whatever, but course conditions definitely with the, the hills and the heat and not having that competition there, I think the performance in Canada was was even better. So I felt like I got a bit more out of myself, but also learnt, I guess, what the pacing feels like and stayed in control a bit more. So just paced it across the three days a lot better. Um, the run was a 6.19, which was still, a, a I think, an 18-minute course record. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you had someone running shoulder to shoulder, I'm sure you could squeeze a few more minutes out. But that would that was pretty solid on that course. It had nearly 900 metres of elevation. Nice. Um, and so you've qualified now for, for Canada. So um, I'm sure the bank manager's thrilled about that all these clubs overseas. Um, uh, you've done Hawaii in 2018, I think it was, in terms of doing Ironman. Um, so you obviously know, you know, the majority of the course, so majority of the, you know, the, the marathon and the sort of the swim, probably not so much the bike around the other side of the island. But um, yeah, what um, what did you learn from Ironman, and and how are you going to have to adjust things for 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 Hawaii? Yeah, well, the heat's just going to be another level, and then same with the elevation. Like I think the day one bike, because it goes around yeah the back of the big island, has some really long climbs, and it can get. Um, I think it can actually get quite cold and wet around there. So it depends on... I can assure you it's wet. It's not cold, yeah. but it's wet. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, and then I guess, yeah, the swim can be quite different with the currents because same thing, it's such a long way. I think you swim from Kona to the airport um, sort of mm-hmm. way. So year to year, that changes a lot in the times. I think there's been some times where guys have swum like 210 
for 10k and then there's other times where the winning times are over three hours so that will just be something you can't control so the swim prep won't change too much um and same with the bike like i think just riding to feel there um and just working on the hydration and getting a lot of water to cool you down like we did in canada so definitely compared to aussie a lot more ice water out there from the crew and then the run in hawaii is pretty brutal you literally start mm. at harvey and run back to kona that will be so, brutal you yeah. know you know that road and same yeah. thing that'll depend how hot it gets and if you've got a wind going one way then that could be pretty brutal well, just you know like obviously you turn up to your first ultra man you kind of blitz it and you beat the record you go to Canada to make sure you qualify uh do you expect the field to be stronger at the world championships and do you treat that as just a, a day by yourself or do you, or three days by yourself but or do you treat it as a race where you're trying to you know obviously win and beat records of still yeah, well, there, there will be some more competition there, definitely. Um, a couple of guys who have won different Ultramans um, with some decent times. Um, there's a guy, Jordan Bryden, who's pro Ironman mm. guy as well. He's won um, – He's I think he's actually won the World Champs before. He swims very well. Like, he had the record at Ironman Ultraman Canada, like 219 swim, and pretty solid bike and run as well. And same with the Russian guy, Max, who had the – Ultraman world record before me. Um, yeah, so I know of at least those two guys. And then, yeah, I'm sure there'll be yeah a few more in there as well. Nice. Uh, how long will you go over there to try to acclimatise and adapt? Um, well, the Canada trip, we were, we went and flew in Monday of race week. So for the, um, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday race. And then we flew out Tuesday. So we'll, we'll probably do the same. Um, yeah, can't, can't afford to go over there for too long. Ideally, um, yeah, obviously you'd go for a, a two or three weeks beforehand. But because I've been there, I mean, I've raced twice there as an age grouper in 2010 and 11, and then as a pro in 2018. I, kn I know the course pretty well, and I know, you know, the township and just how all the things work. So I don't feel like I need to go there to a, to learn too much or experience. Um, it'll just be getting the heat prep right at home and then, yeah, heading over there. Um, is this just a moment or do you think you'll stay at Ultraman for a long time? Like, will you go back to more short course, short course 70.3 and Ironman? Or do you think Ultraman will be the next moment for a longer period in your career? No, I think it's just a bit of a moment. Um, like you say, like this this year, obviously, it's gone pretty well. So I thought I'll, I'll ride that um, through to the world champs at least. And then, yeah, I mean, we'll see if that opens up any opportunities or any other guys that are going to step up and race or... I'm looking at yeah, heading to do some some longer run adventures after this as well. Um, there's a cool you know races in the states where you can run you know 200 miles through the desert. So I'm looking forward to some challenges like that. But then also, I mean, if Ironman's still going well, then I can jump back in and and race that as well. And have you been able to leverage much off these performances? You know, I mean, this is a small time. You're on a podcast here, but I noticed you're on bloody the, the national news breakfast show the other day. Um, and I'm sure your profile has been, been lifted. So have you been able to leverage off that in terms of sponsors or, or you know, in terms of making money when when it's it's, an, it's a race where you don't get any prize money? Yeah, I mean, the, the exposure has, has been quite big after that, especially the Aussie one. I think um, it was just a... A big world record um so that did get quite a bit of exposure and 
bit of news and podcasts and that sort of thing. Um, sponsorships always hard to come by, so yeah. um, yeah, no, no new big massive sponsors on board, but um, obviously always keen to chat to to those people who are interested. Yeah. Um, but I'd say in the in my coaching business definitely. So yeah, mm. that's that's grown huge. Um, not only since Ultraman Oz, but I guess just the last big season. Um of some good results in that ultra world um and just sort of a slightly different approach to to coaching um yeah that's that's grown massively and that's my big focus from from here forward i'm not doing the um accommodation business anymore so it's full time mm. into coaching and looking at expanding that into more yeah training camps and workshops and that sort of thing as well cool a couple of random questions um you've obviously i think you said you've done 30 something ironmans um, what's been your favorite sort of destination race uh, that you've done so far? That's going to be Ironman Japan. Like that course was pretty epic. Um, yeah. I mean, you're swimming in a, a sacred lake that they only open up for like, you know, two hours of every year. Um, and then the bike course had three and a half thousand meters of elevation. And that run was, yeah, brutally hot. It was nearly 40 degrees. So that was, that was a, a tough man's course. Um, unfortunately, they don't run it anymore, but that was pretty epic in Hokkaido there. Um, do you wax or shave your legs? Shave, yeah. Oh nah, don't, don't need to add any extra pain into the week. <laughs> do you use any facial moisturiser? No, but right, sauna good. just about every day, so I feel like I get a, get a good sweat out. And have you ever prepared specifically for a marathon? Um, and if you haven't, uh, what do you think you could bang out for a marathon and how does that compare to your best Ironman time? No, I haven't. I've I've run a few marathons, but usually, yeah, just for a bit of fun. Um, quickest is a 238, and that was on my birthday last year, just as a solo hit out around the, the 6K block at home, um, seven loops of that or whatever. Um, but, I mean, I've run a half, sort of 112, so I think – if I prepared for it and took, you know, say six months or something, it'd be nice to go, yeah, in the two twenties. But I don't think I'm, uh, I'm built for anything much quicker than that. Fantastic, <laughs> Cool. Now, if people want to follow you, are you into your social media or anything like that? Yeah, pretty um, active on Instagram. So I've got my own page, Cochrane Simon, and then yeah, Athletic Peak for my coaching and a bit of um, yeah, that sort of thing. Awesome. Well, no, fantastic. Always great to see Kiwis smoking it on the world stage, but equally also great to see the Ultraman times being uh, not just chipped away, but smashed. So hopefully we get some competition. You guys have a fantastic race in uh, in Hawaii later in the year, and we'll uh, make sure we lock it in. It's uh, usually late November, so look forward to seeing you smashing that. And thanks for your time today. Thanks, guys. Always good to chat. What a, what a phenomenal performance, you know, like, you know, to turn up, he's obviously a good athlete, he's a good pro athlete, but yeah. an hour off the record. Aaron Hubbard, and you've had some good, good athletes, like you haven't really had um, top pros, top, top pros go and do Ultraman. But you but wouldn't say he's a top, top pro. Sorry? You wouldn't say he's a top, top no, pro. No, he, you know, Simon t- typically is in that sort of third through tenth at an Ironman. Yeah, like Gordo did it and he got second yeah. at Ironman New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so, but to take that amount of time off is uh, is awesome. And what I thought was cool is he's not looking at stats. He's looking at a bloody map all the way through on the bike <laughs> I don't want to get lost. Uh, and again, as I said earlier in the show, I empathise with that because when you are at the front, and the, at Ultramans, they don't have marshals or anything like that. you just got to go and ride so the how course. Does it, so you, how do you prove you've done it? 
um, I'm not sure. I suppose you've got to probably submit a GPS file, I, I presume. Yeah. Um, and then you've got your support crew. They just go leapfrog ahead and just Look, do I'm the sure people stations. aren't cheating, but although they are So cheats. there's no no officiating whatsoever. It's just like, go and this is a course, go and ride it. Uh, I'm, Ultraman Hawaii is going to be like a breeze because you're basically on more or less on one road uh, yep. as soon as you get on the bike. And the run. And the run. Yeah, you got yeah. lost on that run, you'd be... Uh, you really cocking you'd things really up. you really cock things <laughs> up. So, uh, yeah, great Do you have a desire to do something like that? Because uh, you love Hawaii. Yeah. And you love challenges in Hawaii. Yeah. I don't, yeah, maybe. It's not, it's not high it's, on it's my It's running that doesn't appeal to you, isn't it? Yeah, running a double marathon. Just to see what you could do, because what do you reckon you could do a marathon in now? Uh, I think I'm my well, yeah, no, be in the two forties. Yeah, um, I would say mid mid two forties. So you think much for a double that. marathon? Well, if you're looking at Simon, he did two oh six or six oh six six oh six, and he in an Ironman's. I think when I was looking at his stats, you know, he's sort of a, usually a two fifth in the two fifties. Yeah. So I'd I'd just be saying, at a guess, I'd be seven hours or something like that. Yep. You know, back two three and a half hour marathons. There's going to be a bit of walking in there it's just a matter of it's not how, much, how fast you can run it's how just consistent you, how, yeah how much you slow down in the second half yeah. if you've got to walk you're rooted but and you can only run like run, running a 330 marathon that's five minute case i couldn't run much slower than that in terms of starting off pace i can in um wrote five minute k's and that last 10k it was like fuck Killing my legs, <laughs> not the effort. Yeah, but not, fatigue. Yeah, oh, it was dreadful. Uh, so I imagine it's one of those things you don't know how you're going to respond. But you, you never really have had the desire to go much longer than I mean, have you? No. Well, but is really. it a lifestyle thing? Like now that the kids are getting a bit older, and you mm. know, five years from now your kids might be gone. Mm. Do you think that as that you get to that moment in life, I, like the, I think the challenge of doing it is there. The challenge of racing it is not there. Okay, and it's similar to like. Like all the long distance running races around New Zealand, a lot of them on these great walks. The appeal of racing on off road isn't there for me, but just going and doing it as a run, you'd do is. pretty well, wouldn't you? No, probably not. I'm shit on off road. Oh, <laughs> but you're still relatively well you're speaking, a fit man. Yeah, um, and you're a good runner. Okay, there you go. So, um, has a website? Do you know his website? I'll uh, just search for Simon Cochran, but I think it's more focused on his Instagram. Okay, I'll put a link in the show, in the show notes as well if you want to check out his website. Let's go to Wanger of the Week. Right, I'm getting random.org up. Oh. One through 100. Okay, here it's we go. It's going to go. It's gone for number 82. 82. So last week. Good year, that one. 82. 82. Oh, what was the number one song in 82? Ah, uh, we're going to have to go again. It was Philip Sassy. Didn't, uh, didn't Philip, mate, you've got, you, mate, you got to do the triathlon week, mate. Don't, don't turn up and just run. Okay, I'm going to pick number one song. Well, in I've, New I've got 53. You get, you get another one ready. Uh, 53. Oh, the Albinator. Oh, good stuff. Albert Boyce, 15 hours, Legend of 13 the show. minutes of training. Do they still have coffees away? No. I didn't know. Oh, they might do. He's not involved with it. Yeah. Uh, he did, ran, did, so two hours and 14 minutes of swimming last week, eight hours and 31 on the bike, and four hours 27 on the run, 15 hours and 13 in total. Um, I'm assuming Albert might be back home. He lives in the... Bay Area from memory. His fabulous wife, Nadia, was on our support crew over in Rote, and he's also coming over to Alp next year and our Kona camp. On the Kona camp, people, uh, often people get put off by the epic camps. It's an epic camp light in Kona. Anybody can come, basically. If you can do a half iron, man. So we've got a couple of people on coming on this camp who are going to be certainly in the bottom third when it comes to racing the 70.3. Yep. So if you've ever wanted to go to Kona, 
you're slower. Cool experience. Don't feel like you're going to be intimidated by by it. Yes, we've got a couple of faster people, but we've got some slower people as well. Um, it's a wicked, wicked race. So let's uh, let's have a look at Albert. Yes, he's back home. He's in San Francisco. Uh, if you can follow Albert on Strava. He's posting lots of pictures. Picture of his dirty shoes. Picture of the Golden, <laughs> what Gate, number was he? Golden Gate Bridge. 56. Um, yeah, he, Albert does most of his riding, and I think almost all his riding. Jesus, Albert. He... <laughs> He um, uh, he does. I think he does almost Swift. all his riding on Zwift now. He bloody on August the fifth went up Von Top in France twice. So Von Top is basically is uh, the equivalent of riding Mont Ventoux in France, which is a gigantic mountain. I went up halfway up there on uh, Saturday uh, to a place called Chalet Reynard. Albert looks like he's just riding by himself on Zwift. Went up there twice. So that elevation Jeez. gains 3,000 metres elevation. I don't, know how, don't know how long he was on there, but it would have been quite a long ride because that climb is about two hours long. Uh, he was on, on Zwift for four hours and seven minutes. Albert, you're an idiot. <laughs> save, save. Albert, <laughs> you're an idiot. Um, but Albert may be getting ready for the Kona Camp next year because he and I are planning on doing the Manaloa. Uh, which is going to be awesome. That was a very, very good man. Good that was a good, well. good athlete. He finished, uh, won his category over in Rote, finished first in his age group, and that's no mean feat. So good on him. Good times rocking over. Albert Boyce, you are our winger, winger of the week. week. John, just a couple quick things. Um, I'm going to do one thing at the end of the show, but uh, PTO has officially been cancelled for this year. So PTO have confirmed that their race season will come to an end at the end of the PTO Asian Tour open in Singapore on August the 19th and 20th with no Collins Cup event set to be organised this season and the focus instead switching to pre-existing events. Despite rumours that the championship, um, the team competition which puts Europe, America and the rest of the world against each other was set to be held in Morocco at the end of the season, the commercial organisation cited timing and logistics as the reason it's not going ahead in 2023. Said they'll put their attention into delivering the final races of the PTO to your tour um, and that's pretty much it yeah, I was surprised that didn't make more news I've, that's the first I've heard of it although yeah it, we did hear it was going to be in Morocco when we interviewed Braden Curry earlier in the year he said Morocco he and I said oh, we better edit that out because that's not official I don't want to get him into trouble yep. uh, but it was going to be in Morocco which was weird because you get no spectators there uh, I'm sure the course they would have come up with a cool course that would be nice and hot it just seemed a bit weird uh, and we've got to say I love the I like the concept, but Europe no. are just going to absolutely annihilate everybody. It's, it's just, just not like not even going to be a competition. I don't even like the concept. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a three on three racing. Yeah. One person there's, gets a there's, year. There's bits that I like, but it's just it's not going to be a competition when Europe are in the game. No. Right, Jan Fredino, he um, smoked it at the weekend. I said it all the way along. Although my confidence was shaken after the Hamburg. Um, Who are you talking about? Where did this come from? Jan Fredino. We're, we're talking about him. Um, for how many times he's been off the podium? Oh, the quiz John's question. quiz question. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, I didn't okay. want to get into a Collins Cup discussion. We've been there so many times before. So, Jan Fredino, he's 41 years old. Uh, and I think how many times has he not got on the podium? In his, his He definitely had one corner where he finished it, but didn't, mm -hmm. you know, he blew up and he didn't, he just kind of walked home or jogged mm -hmm. home. I kind of know the answer to this, and I did look at it yesterday. But oh, I, <laughs> you do, do I know definitely the know the answer. But I did kind of knew the answer before that as well. I'm going to say maybe where he didn't DNF. Yeah. 
And his I long, don't know if he's had any DNFs because that Kona one, he just walked it in. Maybe there was one where he DNFed. I don't know. Maybe. But I'm pretty sure. Well, I did scan it yesterday, but I didn't look at I'll it. Say, I'll say, I'll say, oh, no, because he did the European Cups and he didn't mm-hmm. do that well there. Mm-hmm. Then okay. you go, what do you classify as a podium? Bloody all the American races, you're going, you're going to top five and you're on no, the podium. No, top three. Top three. Um, I'm going to say five times. Well, I know the answer, and I'm pretty sure it's z- up until this year, it's zero, no, e- excluding Kona. the Kona one. Okay. You kind of go, that wasn't really a finish. No, but that, it did. But it was no, a finish. That was yeah, a question. Yeah. So you'd say it was one, but really, it's basically zero. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. And this year, but this year we've had one. Yeah. So, he, so basically it's two. He started racing in... 2014 um, and there's something else I'll t- and yeah basically everything's won winning everything a couple of podiums finished third in Hawaii first time around 35th at the 2017 Ironman World Champs that's when he kind of walked it in still did four hours on the run um, and that's it uh, and up until this year when he got fourth at the European Open in Hamburg so prior to this year basically because most people would have pulled out that Hawaii race. He just chose to keep going. Yeah. So you'd say every race that he's finished, he's been on the podium. And almost all of them have been wins. Easy. Almost all of them. His first season, he got a couple of podiums. I know you he, hate the GOAT conversation, but they, ha- call him, they call him the GOAT, John. Do you like that? No, I don't. <laughs> you're so, you're he so is funny. amazing. <laughs> oh, Absolutely funny, amazing. Like, he goes, he, he, if there is a GOAT conversation, he gets it. Oh, yeah. but You'd say Alan back in the day, but... Yeah. It's just a stupid discussion. He's the greatest of his generation, and it's a bloody long. He he basically encompasses sort of almost two generations in terms of how dominant he. But he wasn't the greatest in a short course. He sure he won the Olympic gold medal. But but I did want to mention the Olympics. He won in two thousand eight, and he he, respectable in twenty twelve. He got sixth place, um, which is still pretty solid. That's when you had the Brownleys and Gomez. uh, Just uh, it's pretty cool for him, isn't it? Because you know, two thousand twelve, he obviously goes. I'm going to go long. He's actually the much better career, mm. you know. Like most, you know, you've most of the ITU guys don't transfer over that well. A lot, a lot don't. Yeah, you know, we do. Don't. Some do, like Blumenfeld, obviously. But um, you know, we'd say overall the percentage is disappointing. Yep. You know, is. when you know, because you'd have, I remember when we first started the show, you're like, ah, oh, the short course are coming. And I'm going to say on the boys a lot of the time it is when I'm scanning through the females here. It's pretty impressive. Okay. So the 2012 Olympics, Nicholas Spurig uh, won it, and then she went on to have a very good uh, career. And Lisa Norton's still going. She finished yep. second there. She's um, had a great long course career. Sorry? No, not a great. No, right. good. Not, certainly yeah. not. Wouldn't call it great. Other ones in there that are of note is Anne Haug only finished in 11th place. Um, Barbara Rivera is still going. She was in 16th. Now I was scanning down, and I saw... Uh, where did bloody Reef finish? Reef finished in 40th place. Oh wow! Flora Duffy, forty-fifth. Paula Finlay was last. That was a bit of a sad story because she was the year before. She was on fire. Uh, so yeah, twenty twelve Olympics was pretty noteworthy on the female side for a lot of the athletes that have become great, great, great athletes, but had very poor Olympics there. Okay, let's go into John's swim set. Okay, this was what we actually did on Friday. I've got a new thing for us in the next few weeks for our little squad. We're doing Fast Fridays. 
So what we did on Friday is some proper speed work. We did 300 warm-up, and then we did 300 metres of drills, 25 fist drill, 25 long dog, 25 freestyle, and then we went into our main set, and we repeated this all twice. So we did three 200s pull, descend one to three, and then we did six 25s where you're doing 12.5 metres, so that's half of a length absolutely ballistic and then 12 and a half easy and uh, we're doing them on quite a bit of rest so you're getting pretty much double time rest so we were doing them on 35 seconds and then we do 450s really fast doing them on 110 which again was pretty much double time rest you come in maybe on about 35 seconds and you have around about 35 seconds rest so did that set twice so 12 and a halves and some 50s trying to get the old arms turning over, get on top of the water. When you do this really short stuff, like a 12 and a half, you basically don't need to breathe, um, and that's really important. You're pushing off the wall hard, you're getting up, you're kicking really, really hard, trying to get on top of the water, get the arms turning over quickly, no breath, and then when you get to halfway, then you just cruise to the rest of the length. Followed that up, two 100 IMs, and then did 100 metres max effort, and then 200 warm down. Fast Fridays. Fast Friday. It used to be 4K Fridays when we were leading up to, to Rote. So it all depends on what John wants from his training. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, let's go to our patrons. Murray the Holy Hammer Lapworth. We've got Phil the Philinator Patterson. And Fred Linebacker Litz. How is old Phil Patterson going for his uh, training? I think he's got COVID this week. Oh, poor bugger. Well, somebody in his, his, his secretary got COVID and Phil's not feeling very good, so he may have COVID. Mm, going up to dinner for next week, I think. Still haven't hit it. Uh, okay, let's go. Uh, you think- still don't have it. No, huh. I, haven't had, I, I haven't even been sick. Oh, the, oh okay, I've got two good stories for you. Okay, so um, there we go. So let's say if you want to become a patron, please go to www.imtalk.me. It's a way you can support the boys and get in the show out there each week. Um, also, if you want to show, email to you down the bottom of the front page. You just put your information in there. If you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewsom.com. If you want to check out his Epic Camp, go to epiccamp.com. Um, anything I do, bevanjamesisles.com. And John, did you just delete something? Yeah. Because it just ruined my page. Um, <laughs> you can email us. ready for next week's show already. With, with anything you need. I am talk uh, at gmail. I'm talk podcast at gmail.com. Jumbo, you're gosh. I'm really listening to you. Yeah, I can tell. I'm yeah, I can tell. Yeah. To... As you just delete all my stuff from here. <laughs> uh, what is my gosh? Hey, race organizing at the weekend. What uh, was the race? The JD Duathlon Series. Yeah. Which was good times, nice day for it. Um, numbers weren't amazing, but it was uh, good. Plenty of kids racing, which was was good times. And then little Tommy just smoked it, and oh, so uh, we decided on the way home. Oh, we'll go up to Auckland for nationals this weekend. So I'm going to take boys' weekend, flying up to Auckland, staying at the bloody Ibis Budget Hotel at the nice. airport, shared room, and the, yep, and the room, the, the the race is only five kilometres away, so we're going oh, no convenient. no transport. Having my fingers crossed, Auckland weather to be okay because we're going to have to bike across the race and bike home and yep. then we're going to go show the Coro Club who's boss. We've got yep. like five yep. hours there on yep. Sunday afternoon. Maximize it. Uh, and outside of that, Bevan, I was sick last week as people would have heard on the show. So good to finally sort of just be over that. But got to be really careful when you get on your chest. So I was very mindful of um, taking it pretty easy. And it's fair to say I have lost a lot of fitness since road. Oh, really? <laughs> a lot of fitness. What's your, what's your routine been like? Uh, well, I'm getting back into it now, but it was because after the race probably had nearly, you know, a week and a half, two weeks of nothing or very little, you know, just a couple of little jogs. And then we got back to NZ, started getting back into it and then got sick. And so, yeah, I'm not in great shape. Um, but good. I'm happy to exercise. Happy about that. Rebuild, you'll be back. Sorry? 
Rebuild. You'll Rebuild. be back. Oh, yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back. Uh, outside of that, that's about it, Bevan. What about you? Holiday time. I've got three things. So first of all, I'm going to go back to, because when you said 82, I thought of 1982 music. Mm-hmm. So here's the top 10. Now, this is based on America. Top 10 mm-hmm. songs. I wonder how many you know. I'll, I'll have to sing this. Got to have a bit of MJ in there. Probably Michael Jackson. No. Because that, I think it was 83, 84. That's mm. in that like blew everything out of the water. Okay, number 10. 82. Hard Say I'm Sorry by Chicago. Everybody mm. needs a little time yeah. away. Number nine, Steve Miliband, Abracadabra. Abracadabra. It's a little before our time. Do you know that one? I think so. Oh, what Is about it? John Cougar? It wasn't even John Cougar Bellingham. <laughs> what was it? it? John Cougar. And uh, it's so good. Come on, yeah, yeah. baby, now. Yeah. Uh, John Cougar, number seven. Jack and Diane. Yeah, that's, that's a good song. Jack and Diane. You'll know this one. The Human League, Don't You Want Me Baby. Don't, Don't you, you want me, baby? baby. Yeah, the nice. J. Giles Band, Centerfold. Oh, that's um, Angel with Centerfold. Uh, love yeah. runs strong. Yeah. Uh, McCartney and Wonder, Ebony and Ivory. Yeah. Jeez, Ebony, 82, really? Uh, yep. Wow. Uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll. Yeah. Number three. Number two, this is one of John's favourite of all time. If you were to say one of your favourite songs of all time, what would it be? From our early 80s, you played every race. Uh, is it ACDC something like no. that? Or is it... Uh, dun, 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 dun. Uh, Eye of the Tiger. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then number one in 1982, Let's Get Physical. Oh, God. Physical. <laughs> that is a shocker. <laughs> Olivia, when you were a kid, you'd say, Olivia's written John. And you yeah. thought that was pretty funny, didn't you? So we went to Bali. Two funny stories. So first one is... Um, because will I get the upgrade? Remember mm-hmm. that was the dilemma mm-hmm. I had? Mm-hmm. A, do I take the upgrade? Mm-hmm. And B, do I get the upgrade? So this is just for yourself, not for Joe. You're no. travelling with Joe. Travelling with Joe. Where I gifted my upgrade to Belinda on the way back from, from Germany. Can you do that? Well, no, I, I, I got it, and then I just gave her my ticket. So if on the, when we came back from Canada, from Vancouver oh. to Auckland, I gave <laughs> Belinda my boarding pass. She was up in uh, premium, and I was back in cattle class. Oh. Joe didn't want me to. Joe was really, like, she actually got upset with me. That you were going to consider taking no, it? No, no, I wouldn't take it. Right. Because like, because there was a good story. I was telling you, because like, when you teach a class at the gym, you need a story for a week. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't teach the same people often. So you often have two or three stories that get you through mm-hmm. your week. And that was a gold story. I've got an upgrade. Do I, mm-hmm. do I take it or do I, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think just to give her the boarding pass. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not allowed to give the yeah. upgrade. Yeah, so logical, John. <laughs> so, and thoughtful. So I get on, cause, but you don't know, you don't know until you get to the desk. Hmm. So like you're waiting, and we're going to get the upgrade. So I go to the desk. I've got the upgrade. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I get on a plane. I'll be honest. I wouldn't pay for a premium economy. No. No. If I was really rich, I'd pay mm. for business. business. Yeah, mm. business is pretty mm. awesome. Premium economy is slightly better. See, food is great, mm. but it's only really the food that's better. The f- the plane's chocker blocker. Mm-hmm. So I send Joe the text, you know, for me on my flash seat and all the rest of it, and uh, my meal, and then just before we take off, uh, and then I eventually walk down the back of the plane, plane shocker, mm-hmm. Joe has an offer to herself. Mm. She has a whole it, row. It's because you were supposed to be, the same thing happened to me, because I was, Belinda was supposed to be sitting yeah. next to me, I had one person on the other side. But she didn't have that. Yeah. So she was able to lie down and have a seat, she probably yeah. slept better than I did. There you go. So that worked out well. And then we're in Bali, love Bali. Have you done Bali as no, a holiday? I done Bali. Oh, no. you need to do it. Mm. It's... Just it's a it's cheap. You'll love that. Mm. Um, food is awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you like you can go to the cheap places. You can go to nice places, but even your nice places aren't that expensive. Like you're just living like a king with your eating. They're really good. What are you thinking there? I'm just wondering. Do, so Bali's in Indonesia, isn't it? Yep. 
Do they have any? Does Iron Man have a presence in Indonesia? It's the second most populous country in the world, isn't it? I, I never knew that. Second or third? It's like right up. But there. Bali's a bit different. Actually, it'd be it, India, China. It might be third. Really? Pretty sure. I never knew that. A couple of things about it. They've got the, the world's third biggest statue, and it's only about five years old. And I've got to say, John, if you've got a Bali, go to yeah. the statue. It was funny. We went to the statue, and because you kind of see it everywhere on the island, it's huge, and. Um, you go there and you kind of think, why would I pay to go see, look at the statue? Because you can kind of see it just over there. And then we go, we, we go up to the queue and, and it's got, and Joe and I are tight like you are. Yeah. And it was kind of like, it's going to cost us like 25 bucks each, Kiwi. And I was like, mm. it's just there. And we go away and the guy goes to us, the guy at the thing goes, you got cash? And the guy at the, thing, yeah, we got some cash. He goes, Ten dollars, and so, so we did the old. Joe yeah. literally did the handshake, giving him the money. Oh God! <laughs> so, but I, I, it was actually really cool. It was actually quite phenomenal. Um, but then that day there, I think I got some heat stroke. Yeah. So we we hired a bike. I was driving around. We went to the statue. Then we went to some beach for a few hours. And coming home, we stopped for lunch. And Joe was I, I wasn't hungry, and it's very unlike me. Mm-hmm. So I just got like a smoothie. And we're driving back, and we was probably a forty-five minute drive on the bike, and it's pretty dangerous biking because it's mm. you know. But I'm, I'm fine. And about a k from our, about two k's from home, I just thought, shit, I feel, I feel good. And then all of a sudden, power chuck. Oh yeah, like, not just a chuck, like yeah. mouth open. Think, think. Um, what's that movie? Stand by me, with all mm. spewing over. Mm. Like I'm riding a motorbike, spewing. <laughs> and then I was like, I was trying to, I was like, I need to pull over. So I start pulling over, and then second power check, and the bike, we just crashed the bike. Oh, no. So it falls off the bike. It was a total bloody disaster. And then, um, and then I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, don't power check when you're riding a motorbike. Indonesia is the fourth most populous country in the world. I in, never India's knew that. first, 1.4 billion. China's just behind 1.4 billion, basically the same. United States, 339 million. Indonesia, 277. Pakistan, fifth. Nigeria, sixth. Brazil, seven. Bangladesh, eight. Russia, nine. Mexico, ten. What's really interesting is most of them are poor countries. Mm. Like of those, what would you say are wealthier countries? America? And China nowadays. China but China's kind of 50-50, isn't it? Yeah. And all the rest. Wow, that's yep. really interesting. So the smaller the population, the wealthier. And Bevan's basic theory here. What else are you searching now? I don't know. Is there any... Uh, Ironman 70.3 Lombok is that must be that's in Indonesia yeah so they do have a race there but I think Bali is because there's different religions you've got Hindu oh, a lot of religions yeah but I think the, the whatever the main religion in Bali is because the Bali people are beautiful people mm. lovely 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 other than they're trying to sell to you the ones who try mm. to sell you pain in the ass but, mm. but when you're not in that it's um the lovely lovely I bought a Warriors to Jersey they had, in Bali, yeah, like the Warriors is the New Zealand rugby league team. Oh, but the, the, when you used to go to Bali, like the sports tops were, you would you'd never buy them because they look really mm. crap. Nowadays, like oh, you think it's a real deal, mm. they're real good. And 180 bucks for a Warriors New Zealand. So I go and try it on. It's a bit big, but I oh, screw it. And I go, oh, how much? And he goes, oh, 75 or 75 New Zealand, which was the one nearby. I go, 20. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no oh, 65. I go, 20. I got it for 20. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and he goes, can I have tip? I gave him $1. <laughs> so, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there you go. But this is what you do. It's, 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 it's their world. Anyway, John, let's wrap things up. I'm Russ. I'm Midnight. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.